It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, the Phillies are headed to the World Series after a, a key home run by Bryce Harper beating the San Diego Padres. And the Astros will be in the World Series again after annihilating the New York Yankees. And it's painful for me to say that. I was rooting for the Yankees. Uh, it was a wipeout. You know, earlier in the playoffs, because they won't expanded it to 12 teams, I was sort of moaning and groaning about three-game series and five-game series, but particularly three-game series. But this was a seven-game series, and 50 strikeouts for the Yankees. They were just flailing up there. Uh, any pitcher, any pitcher, even like the middle reliever that Houston sent to the mound seemed like the second coming of Sandy Koufax. It just was an embarrassment. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, big Houston ballpark. They get back to New York. They got back to New York. They lost again. Uh, didn't score. They've scored very few runs. So the Yankees deserve to be clobbered. Houston proved itself to be the better team. Very inconsistent in the second half, despite winning 99 games. Uh, if I can switch sports for a second now, Tom Brady is having, uh, what shall we say? What's the right word? An awful season. Um, in last uh, Sunday's game, lost 21-3 to to the Carolina Panthers. And so Brady couldn't even throw a single touchdown. But let me tell you about the Carolina Panthers. They were 1-5. They had lost 12 of their past 13. Their coach was about to be fired. And they clobbered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So the Bucs, uh, with Brady, who has to be distracted by the drama about his marriage and whether he and Giselle Bunjan have hired divorce lawyers, are 3-4. and four. They have lost four out of their last five. And the other old guy in the league, Aaron Rodgers, actually led a near comeback on Sunday, but his team is three and four. So not a great season for the uh, aging quarterbacks. And by the way, uh, according to the Republican nominee for Wisconsin governor, Tom Brady was such a, one such a big Trump fan is now texting with Ron DeSantis. Interesting. Hey, I don't know if you saw or heard about Ted Cruz going on The View, but I think it was a slam dunk for the senator from Texas. And, you know, you would expect him not to get that popular reception. Well, first of all, there were these climate activists who started chanting so nobody could hear anything. And Whoopi Goldberg, to her credit, told him to STFU. I think they may have been escorted out. Then, you know, they're asking him, how can you say that the election of President Biden was not legitimate? And... Cruz did say that Joe Biden is president of the United States. And then he said, you know, you had Hillary Clinton on here, and she said her election was stolen to Donald Trump in 16. You had Stacey Abrams on here, and she said her election was stolen um, in Georgia in 2018. And going all the way back to uh, people who said that George W. Bush was selected by the Supreme Court, not elected. And they didn't really have a comeback. I mean, yes, there's the cav uh, caveat that Hillary Clinton called 
Trump to concede. She didn't do anything to stop uh, him becoming the 45th president. But then, um, you know, sure, she went around saying if it wasn't for Comey, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for Trump's lies, okay. Stacey Abrams, same thing. And I don't think the view people had a comeback. Speaking of Trump and speaking of television, this, I, I'll tell you right now, this is going to be one of the best podcasts I've ever done. We got juicy stuff coming up. Kanye, Harvey Weinstein, that will, it is an absolute eye opener. Take my word for it. I'm not in the business of hype. Well, maybe a little bit. Okay. So Trump is lashing out at Alyssa Farah Griffin because she is on The View as well. I guess I kind of should have taken that segue, right? Duh. Okay, she's on The View, and um, she bashed Trump. She was, um, at the end of the, uh, the four years, a communications director for Donald Trump. But m- much of the time, she worked for Mike Pence, which is how I got to know her slightly. And Trump put out a statement saying, since Griffin, uh, Farrah Griffin no longer says nice things about him, uh, and on CNN, where she's a political commentator, uh, quote, Alyssa Farah totally misrepresented her true feelings about me and the Trump administration in order to get her job at ratings disaster CNN and a seat with the low IQ people at The View. Look at what she said about me. That doesn't include the beautiful letter she sent other statements she made. They should fire her for misrepresentation or fraud. And he cites this letter that she wrote where she says it was an honor to work in the White House and and so forth and so on. She came back and said, my kingdom for a GOP nominee for president who stands up for democracy uh, and said, you know, it wasn't a, she wrote this nice note, wasn't about Trump. It was about um, her feelings about public service. But clearly, after January 6th, she bailed and became a big Trump critic. You could certainly ask the question, where was she before this? All right, story number one. I have a column today up on foxnews.com, and I I really want to spend some time talking about it. Because it's increasingly clear to me, today is two weeks until the midterms, that as, obviously, polls show Republicans with lots of momentum— their issues, inflation, crime, border, uh, certainly the first two, getting more traction with voters than the Democrats' issues. Um, And it seems to me that the mainstream media are now frustrated that the voters, or I should say, a majority of voters, and obviously there'd be a partisan split on this, are pissed off. They're frustrated. They're angry at the voters for not caring about the things that they care about. So, you know, if you watch MSNBC especially, um, it's just, you know, a lot of hair on fire pronouncements about the latest development in the DOJ Trump investigation, for example, the January 6th hearing. And, 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 and you see this in news stories, you see it in segments and columns and tweets. They're getting mad at the voters. What about abortion? 
What about election deniers? What about January 6th? What about Donald Trump? What about the danger to democracy? And there's also, what about President Biden's record of accomplishment? Why isn't that helping? Well, he does have a record of pushing through, you know, lots of bipartisan bills on computer chips, infrastructure, that gun safety compromise, um, also on helping ailing veterans. And it's boosted his numbers up to 45, 46, depending on what poll you look at. But yet it's not translating, partially because Biden is talking up the economy. And that's not what people want to hear, fairly or unfairly. Now, look, it's fine for journalists to raise all these issues, but they, they are not seeing many of them. I'm talking about journalists and commentators that many voters aren't buying into their agenda. They're in their own bubble. Uh, here's uh, Steve Krakauer of the Fourth Watch newsletter, frequent media buzz guest. He's talking about a Monmouth poll, and he says, look, just 8% of Americans say their opinions about that day, meaning January 6th, have been changed by the committee's hearings. The exact same as in August, up from 6% in June. 44% say they have no faith the committee could conduct a fair hearing. Remember, it's a totally one-sided committee, which a lot of people in the media have just kind of accepted, but a lot of folks have not. The Acela media is more out of touch than ever. And here's Tom Nichols, um, who is a total um, anti-Trump guy, now works for The Atlantic. Here's what he tweeted. The United States is facing the greatest danger to its constitutional system since at least the 1950s, if not the 1850s. And millions of people are like, yeah, but gas, man. That's it in a nutshell. You know, how dare you care about gas prices? How dare you care about inflation when there's a danger to democracy? You know, there's obviously growing, a grudging, I should say, recognition now that Republicans have the momentum. But it's sort of like there's a sense of disbelief about it. The best example is when the House January 6th Committee, the end of that rehash, that last hearing, said, okay, we're going to subpoena Donald Trump. You know, it's a bit of a stunt. They know he's not coming. They know uh, time's going to run out at the end of the year. But it was big news. Everybody covered it. I covered it. Then, a few days ago, the committee formally voted to subpoena Trump. CNN, MSNBC, I think I talked about this, went wall to wall. It was just a procedural development. They said they were going to do it. Now they were doing it. All right? Um, and I mentioned in this column, you know, Biden just yesterday was saying he'd help create 10 million new jobs, playing down the chances of a recession. Look, there is 3.5% unemployment. It's, it's an odd situation. But what, you, what, what people care about is how they feel, how they feel when they go to the grocery store, how they feel when they pass the gas pump. Uh, gas prices have edged down now for at least the last two weeks, but they're still higher than they were. I mean, people aren't necessarily getting into all this stuff. Um, what was the top story on the Washington Post homepage uh, the other day? It was Bob Woodward's essay on why he's releasing an audiobook of Trump tapes. So, you know, the people who want to find this stuff, find it. You know, Biden gives an exclusive interview to Jonathan Capehart of MSNBC. It's all about inviting the president to slam Trump, to slam MAGA Republicans, talk about danger to democracy. Nobody out there batted an eye, and I don't think it moved the needle. You know, for people who love Joe Biden, they could tune in and say, yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, now, 
The other thing is, you know, journalists come out and say, I come out and say, I've said from the very beginning, that there is no provable evidence that the election of 2020 was rigged or stolen, as Trump continues to pound away and saying. But if you look at what most Republicans believe, it's that the other side is telling the big lie. And there was this NBC poll over the weekend, 80% of Dems and Republicans say they believe the political opposition poses a threat that, if not stopped, will destroy America as we know it. Boy, talk about polarization. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Hey, I did want to slip this in before I got to the uh, countdown. Rishi Sunak, who has now become the third British prime minister in a matter of months, met with King Charles. He's taken over. He is Unbelievably rich. Richer, apparently, than Buckingham Palace. He's the former banker. His wife is the Indian tech heiress, Akshata Murti. Uh, they have an estimated fortune of about $830 million. Uh, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, before she died, estimated to have about $420 million. So it's not even close. So the wife's money comes mainly from her stake in her father's company, Infosys. She often also owns a startup, incubator. She has shares in other companies. They have three homes in Britain and about a $6 million property in Santa Monica. Wowza. Uh, the Guardian says that the family and their two daughters spend the week in a five-bedroom house in West London and weekends in North Yorkshire in a Georgian manor house uh, which has been transformed into something of a wellness retreat with an indoor swimming pool, gym, yoga studio, hot tub, and tennis court. Um, I'm not against people being rich. Uh, the Brits are used to, I mean, the guy's, a, you know, he's an incredible trailblazer, first person of color 
first person of Indian descent and first person of the Hindu faith to lead the UK. But man, is he a member of the establishment and we should say the super wealthy establishment. Back to the countdown. Story number two. Democratic candidates, says the New York Times, facing what increasingly looks like a reckoning in two weeks, are struggling to find a closing message on the economy that acknowledges the deep uncertainty troubling the electorate while making the case that they, not the Republicans, hold the solutions. Where were they a month ago on this? Uh, Okay, so Democrats had hoped over the summer that that the Supreme Court knocking down Roe was going to... be their salvation, but the worst inflation in 40 years increasingly look like wishful thinking, says the New York Times. Now, now they've changed. Uh, Former Congressman Steve Israel uh, said the dispute about how to address voters' economic distress was essentially being resolved in favor of trying to accomplish a political feat that he said would be the trickiest he's ever seen. Democrats will continue to hammer Republicans on abortion, and their ties to Trump to boost turnout among their core supporters while simultaneously trying to win over undecided voters who biggest, whose biggest concerns are inflation and crime. Four veteran Democratic strategists published a piece in the uh, American Prospect, Liberal Magazine, pleading with Democrats to find a message that acknowledges the pain of rising prices and answers voters' concern. They said in this piece, voters want to know you understand what's going on in their lives. They want to know you are helping with their number one problem and have a plan. They want to know the difference between D's and R's when they cast a vote. Okay, good idea, but is it too late? All right, story number three, I tease this at the top. Kanye West. Now, I had some notes here, what I was going to share with you today, which is things have taken a bad turn for Kanye West, the billionaire businessman. So... First, you have the fashion house Balenciaga, which was working with Ye, putting out a statement saying, ah, cutting ties with Kanye West. No longer has any relationship or any future plans. Okay. Then the CAA talent agency, which is huge. I mean, it's the biggest talent agency in Hollywood, has also confirmed it no longer represents the rapper. And then Variety uh, were, uh, picks up a company memo from a uh, firm called MRC saying it will not move forward with a completed documentary about the rapper. And here's the memo. Uh, we cannot support any content that amplifies his platform. Kanye is a producer and sampler of music. Um Last week, he sampled and remixed a classic tune that has charted for over 3,000 years. The lie that Jews are evil and conspire to control the world for their own gain. Okay, now we come to the breaking news. Kanye made a video that was circulating around on social media. And, you know, his biggest business partner by far is Adidas, which is now a German-owned company and has been for some time. And Kanye says in this video, the thing about it being Adidas is like, I can literally say anti-Semitic S and they cannot drop me. Now what? He dared Adidas to drop him thinking in his mind 
that he is such a moneymaker for the company and such a big business partner that they ain't going to do it. And it looked like they were not going to do it. Well, guess what? Wall Street Journal reporting earlier today, Adidas has dropped Kanye West, severing ties with Kanye West. Adidas made a small fortune by marketing his Yeezy brand of sneakers. Now, Adidas didn't want to do this. Adidas wasn't on the front end of this. But increasingly, people were saying, what about Adidas? How can you be in business with this guy? All these other folks are dropping him. And Kanye, it just shows how out of touch with reality he is, actually dared Adidas to do this and created a situation that was untenable for the sportswear giant. So what now, he asked? Now what? Now you're losing all your business partners. It took a while. At first people, and you know, we had this debate on Media Buzz. Well, do you even talk about it because you're just giving more oxygen to it? And I understand that. I understand the notion that the media, probably for clicks and ratings, were, you know, every time Kanye, you know, we'd go on with Chris Cuomo, we'd go on with Piers Morgan, he'd say more anti-Semitic garbage. And they would push back. And he actually said to Piers Morgan, yes, I said things I knew were racist. Why? Fight fire with fire. Well, that also means that you can get fought with fire. And it's a shame, you know, his estranged wife, Kim Kardashian, said he's bipolar. He has acknowledged past mental health problems, and he's just out of control. But, you know, this anti-Semitic stuff became so toxic. It would be one thing if he did it once and, you know, he was on a drunken evening and then apologized, but he never really apologized. It was this ridiculous pseudo-apology. So... I have no tolerance for anti-Semitism and it has nothing to do with anything other than that's evil. A crusade against the Jewish people who, you know, I, I, I don't like people who gratuitously bring up the Holocaust, but I'll just mention World War II, for example. There are 15 million Jewish people worldwide uh, and they didn't need this either. Number three. Variety piece about Harvey Weinstein, the opening uh, arguments. This is, I mean, I don't get gobsmacked very easily, but this is crazy, crazy S. So his defense, remember, he's already been convicted of rape. So this is a second trial uh, out in L.A. His defense told the jury there's no evidence against their client that every woman who will testify is an actress, yeah, who will be playing a role on the stand. Weinstein attorney Mark Worksman said they should prepare to hear a fire host of false and unprovable allegations from women who have agreed to have consensual sexual interactions with Weinstein, but years later are now embarrassed and lying about what really happened. Look at my client, he says. He's not Brad Pitt or George Clooney. Do you think these beautiful women had sex with him because he's hot? No, it's because he's powerful. Look, it's the lawyer's job to represent him. It's an interesting argument. What this lawyer is saying is transactional sex was par for the course. Course, excuse me. Sex was a commodity for rich and powerful men like my client. 
transactional sex. It may have been unpleasant and now embarrassing, but everyone did it. He did it. They did it. So they're sort of pleading guilty to a lesser offense, which is, yeah, I pressed women to sleep with me, but they slept with me because they were Hollywood women trying to get ahead. I didn't rape anybody, notwithstanding that other conviction. Uh, Hollywood's Chernobyl, casting him as, as the smoldering radioactive, the bad guy in the Me Too movement. Now, prosecutors, as you might imagine, a little different view, saying that he's a sexual predator who used business meetings as a cover to sexually assault women over decades. Deputy DAs told jurors that his power enabled him to take advantage of aspiring hopefuls in the entertainment industry by assaulting them, harassing them, which made them fearful of Weinstein's retaliation. Remember those quotes about, you don't want me as an enemy? They were... uh, saying that there will be women, they were quoting women as sharing their allegations of forcible oral sex, groping, fondling, and rape. And then it gets even more interesting. Uh, Weinstein's attorney spends much of his time focusing on Jane Doe number four, who was revealed to be the first lady of California, Jennifer Seibel Newsom, married to California Governor Gavin Newsom. I didn't even know this, but she accused, maybe because it wasn't, you know, her name wasn't public. She accused Weinstein of raping her in a hotel room in 2005. She's made herself a prominent figure, uh, attorney Worksman said. But back in the early 2000s, when Jennifer Seibel Newsom was an aspiring actress and filmmaker, Weinstein's attorney said she was a Hollywood wannabe. During the alleged rape in 2005, Jennifer said she faked an orgasm to end the assault quickly. Weinstein's attorney said there's no more enthusiastic signal of consent than yes, yes, yes. Weinstein believed she consented. Then he went on to say, look, Weinstein was a big donor to the Democratic Party and contributed money to Gavin Newsom throughout the years. In 2007, Weinstein had the couple, both of them, as guests to one of his parties. Weinstein was, uh, Newsom was then mayor of San Francisco. She brought her husband to meet and party with her rapist. Who does that? He took money from his wife's rapist for political campaigns. And then, as if there wasn't enough insulting of the First Lady of California, Worksman said that if Jennifer Seibel Newsom didn't have her current place in politics today, She'd be just another bimbo who slept with Harvey Weinstein to get ahead. That is sick. That is pathetic. That is just disgusting. Regardless of what happened in that hotel room in 2005. Why? Why would you go there? There'll be more, I'm sure. This was just the opening arguments. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Uh, Number four. So, you know, the uh, education department put out this uh, study uh, yesterday saying that American students in most states have experienced, it's described as troubling setbacks, devastating setbacks in math and reading, uh, all because of the pandemic. I mean, wiping out all the gains 
of recent years. Uh, particularly bad in math, steepest declines ever recorded on this test, which is like a report card. It's funny, reading this New York Times story, in the test first results since the pandemic, math scores for 8th graders fell in nearly every state. 26% of 8th graders were proficient, down from 34% in 2019, pre-pandemic. 4th graders fared only slightly better, declines in 41 states. Only 36% of 4th graders were proficient in math. So, what I love about this, it's all presented in the passive voice. Yeah, you know, this happened. Not, uh, maybe the states, and it was mostly up to the states and governors, sometimes local school districts, but with that CDC guidance, shut down the schools for a very long period of time. Now, as a parent, I instinctively knew this wasn't working because you're asking kids, I mean, some of them as young as five in kindergarten, to stare at a computer screen for six to eight hours a day, and that was their learning. They couldn't go back. And then there was the hybrid model later on. And I saw, you know, firsthand that their eyes glazed over. It was hard for them to maintain concentration for that period of time. They weren't really learning a lot. It just was a disaster. Now, I understand, particularly before vaccines became widely available, that there was a great concern about getting together in an indoor space. Got it. Oh, so Miguel Cardona, Secretary of Education, I want to be very clear that this is unacceptable and appalling. Okay, great. So way down in the time story, and it's, it's kind of almost, again, attributed to others. The test results could be seized as political fodder just before the midterms to relitigate the debate over how long schools should have stayed closed, an issue that galvanized many parents and teachers. Uh, you know, this is in like the 15th paragraph. I didn't count. The bleak results underscored how closing schools hurt students. But researchers cautioned against drawing fast conclusions about whether, about whether states where schools stayed remote longer had significantly worse results. Okay, you can argue about the details, but schools did stay closed for way too long. And the hybrid, the, the, the remote learning thing did not work. It was a disaster. And to just say, oh, you know, some say, no, it was a disaster. You can argue whether there was a, a choice or not involved, but that should have been in the second paragraph. All right, finally, number five. Politico has a pretty good investigative piece about a Democrat, namely Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in Georgia a second time against Brian Kemp and uh, seems to be losing by a sizable margin. Uh, she found, after her uh, 2018 law, she founded this voting rights organization, uh, which spent more than $25 million in two years on legal fees, mostly on a single case. And the largest amount of that money, says Politico, went to a boutique law firm, a member of which was Stacey Abrams' campaign chairwoman. Her name is Allegra Lawrence Hardy, close friend, chaired her gubernatorial campaign in 2018, chaired her, is chairing her current gubernatorial campaign in 2022, one of two dozen named partners in this law firm, Lawrence and Bundy. The firm got $9.5 million from Abrams Group, which is called Fair Fight Action, 
2019 and 2020. Lawrence Hardy declined to comment on how much her firm has collected um, for this case, Fair Fight Action versus Raffensperger. But in that case, Lawrence Hardy was the lead counsel. So it wasn't like she's just, you know, sitting in some corner office and she's not involved. Now, Fair Fight Action maintains that the suit, which ended last month with a judge ruling against the group, okay, so they didn't win, uh, served an important role in drawing attention to voting inequities, except they lost the case. But some outside the group questioned the level of expenditures devoted to a single, largely unsuccessful legal action, and that such a large payout went to the firm of Abrams' close friend and campaign chair. I mean, this is pretty sleazy politics. I would say that about anybody, Republican or Democrat, who's funneling all these legal fees to a close friend, former campaign chair, and current campaign chair. I mean, it reeks. It just reeks. Good for Politico. Um, So let's see here. Lawrence Hardy was at the forefront of this effort to combat so-called voter suppression, although we have record early turnout in Georgia, apparently. Um, the state of Georgia devoted almost $6 million to defend the Secretary of State's office in the Raffensperger case versus this $9.5 million. And somebody from the Legal Defense Fund said getting close to $10 million in legal fees is pretty shocking. Lawrence Hardy was a classmate of Stacey Abrams at Spelman College in Georgia in the early 1990s. They both went to Yale Law School uh, at slightly different times. So I don't see a lot of pickup for this story in Politico. I mean, it's in a major website. It well-documented from court filings. And it happens to involve Stacey Abrams. And maybe that answers the question. Appreciate your time, folks. Always appreciate spending this time with you on the podcast. Hope I delivered the uh, semi-hype to the semi-hype I uh, promised at the outset. Uh, I got a lot of stuff I couldn't even get to, but you got a life you probably have to go back to. I would be very grateful for those of you who are not already subscribers. If you would subscribe, and we're back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.